I mean, anything's possible if they're hitting on all cylinders. Hello, welcome to Always College Football. Today is Monday, August 15th. We really appreciate you being with us from wherever it is you're joining us from, whether it's on podcast with Apple or Spotify, or if you're here with us on the ESPN YouTube channel, please like, rate, and subscribe. Hit us up in the comments. Tell us how we can get better. Tell us what you want us to talk about because we're trying to tailor the show to you, the college football fan. For Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We really appreciate you being with us. Look, we have an AP poll that is out today, and it's really not that surprising, okay? You look at teams ranked one through three, no surprise there. Clemson's in at four. Is that a huge shock? Probably not by a process of elimination. Notre Dame's at five. A&M, after finishing the season unranked last year, is all the way up to number six, Utah, the defending Pac-12 champion sits in at number seven. Baylor, the defending Big 12 champions in there at 10. A couple of teams that are back in the poll for the first time, the preseason poll for the first time in quite a while. NC State's in the preseason poll. Pitt's in the preseason poll. And Kentucky are in the, is in the preseason poll. Pitt hasn't been in since 2010. Kentucky hasn't been in since 78. Feels like forever since NC State's been in it as well. That was back in 2003. Here's what I would tell you about the AP poll. It's archaic and do not lose sleep over where your team is at right now. Here's the other issue with the AP poll is that if you are an AP poll voter, this is my call to action. Please just listen to me, please. Please be willing to adapt and adjust after week zero and after week one. That's my biggest pet peeve with the AP poll is that, well, you know, this team's sitting at four and they won. I'm going to keep them at four. Well, if Clemson goes out and looks awful, you should drop them. If Georgia goes out and looks awful against an Oregon team, maybe they win, but they look awful in the process of doing so, be willing to drop them, especially if the likes of, say, Utah go to Florida, dominate the Gators. Be willing to move Utah, even though you had them at seven in the preseason. Be willing to move them into the top five if they look great in week one. Now, I'm not asking you to overreact to anything that you see in week one. I don't want you to do that. Please don't do that. But be willing to adapt and adjust. Too often the AP poll, it's like, well, here's our preseason. And until they lose, I'm keeping them there. That is the wrong way to go about your business. Adapt and adjust each and every week based on what you saw the week before. And if your preseason poll is wrong, and a lot of you, all 65 of you that participate in the preseason poll, if your poll is wrong, be willing to concede defeat. Don't die on a hill and continue to have your team, even though they look terrible, yet they're undefeated. Don't continue to have them ranked in the top five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. If they look bad, drop them. Because the AP poll should be performance-based, not brand-based. And far too often when we put a poll together, it's based on the brand. I'm not saying I could do a better job. I would never sign up to do the AP poll. So I appreciate you for taking the doing the thankless job that is ranking teams 1 through 25. I appreciate you. I really do. But just be willing to move on. When a team that you liked in the preseason isn't good, don't keep fighting for their behalf by keeping them up there in your poll. Look, we have a great game plan in store for you today. We're going to take a look in the first of a series that we're going to do this week of Giant Slayers, teams that might not necessarily make the playoff themselves, but they might be a significant hurdle standing in the way of a team 
that does have legitimate playoff aspirations. So we're calling them giant slayers. We're calling them teams that you wouldn't want to play. We're going to do a series on that. And of course, coming out of the weekend, a lot of teams had their first scrimmage this past weekend. And as a result, there were some starters named and there were also some key injuries. So we'll dive deep into the news and notes. Without much further ado, let's talk about it. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. You guys that have high hopes of getting to the college football playoff, the teams that we're going through in this series, pretty unlikely that they're going to make a trip to that level of football. However, scattered throughout the regular season schedule, there are always landmines. These teams are the best examples of landmines. So we're going to continue on with a handful of teams today that you do not want to see on your team's schedule. Let's kick it off with a playoff team from a year ago. They are the Cincinnati Bearcats. I'm talking to you, Arkansas fans. You see that week one game on September 3rd. You're going to be hosting the playoff team from a year ago that did get pushed around by Alabama in the playoffs. So if anything, there's one thing that you've learned based on last year's tape. Granted, that was the 2021 Bearcats. A lot of new faces. We'll get to that in a minute. Is that you can at least hopefully push them around because you're going to be more physically imposing. You're probably going to be bigger and maybe you'll be able to take advantage of the size advantage that you have along both lines of scrimmage. But let's look at the positives for what Cincinnati has. They bring back everybody along the offensive line. That's a great place to start. Okay. That is a great place to start. When you look at those big bodies, this was a Bearcat team that yes, Desmond Ritter got a ton of love more on the quarterback situation in a minute. But the run game, Jerome Ford in particular, was a big reason why that team got to the playoff last year. And that offensive line did a great job of keeping Desmond Ritter's jersey clean throughout the course of the 2021 season. They're all back. They're bigger. They're more physical probably this year. So it's not a group that should be taken lightly. Here's another positive. You bring back two tight ends that I think have a chance to be among the best in the group of five, if not really anywhere. I mean, this is a tight end tandem that can go with anybody, with Leonard Taylor and Josh Wiley. Those two guys will contribute in the passing game, especially as they try to figure out, all right, who's going to lead us off when it comes to the wide receivers and the skill positions. You do have to look at the defensive line. You lose a MyJ Sanders. That guy's not going to be easy to replace, especially his productivity and burst off the edge. However, you bring back a lot of guys that played a lot of football the last couple of years along the front. You have some inexperienced depth, But for the most part, when you look at last year's team, they were rolling a bunch of guys. However, now, will they still have the luxury of being able to roll guys like they did the year before? Those are the positives. Here's the negatives. One, you got to replace a two-time American Athletic Conference Player of the Year in Desmond Ritter. 
We know that you're bringing back Ben Bryant. He was pretty good last year as the starting quarterback in 11 of 13 games for Eastern Michigan. He threw for over 3,100 yards, not a ton of touchdowns, but he's familiar with the system because he was at Cincinnati before he went to EMU. So you got to think he has a good understanding of what the offense needs to look like, a good understanding of what he needs to do within the offense. and did see some time a couple years back when Desmond Ritter had to miss a game or two. That's one big problem is you got to replace the quarterback. Two, you got to replace a lot on the defensive side of the football. We talked about the front. The front's not bad, but you lose six massive players on that side of the ball. A few were draft picks, including that of Sauce Gardner, who went in the top four. Being a lockdown corner at 6-2 on the outside is one thing. And then on the other side, you, of course, had a guy that won the Thorpe. So you had unbelievable corner play on both sides of the ball, and that's not going to be an easy thing to replace. So those are the negatives when you look at what Cincinnati has. However, I wouldn't want to mess with them. This is a team with playoff experience that has won a lot of football games the last couple of years. Let's move on now to team number two. That is Boston College. Now, we all know what Boston College did a couple of years ago against Clemson. That's a landmine game, <laughs> by the way. Clemson on October 8th at Notre Dame on November 19th and then at NC State on November 12th. So those are the three teams, all of which have playoff aspirations. Will the Boston College Eagles be able to pull off the stunner like they've done on so many different occasions? I feel like over the last two decades, they've pulled off upsets like this and the red bandana game and things like that. So this is obviously a difficult team to play against. They bring back Phil Jerkovic. He's Hopefully he's a little bit better, a little banged up last year. It's got to be better. Look a little bit more like the guy he was two years ago as opposed to the guy he was last year. You bring back Pat Garwo, who was the bell cow last year. After no one really knew what to make of their running back position, he kind of jumped to the front and became a guy that ran for over 1,000 yards between, you know, behind a really good offensive line. More on them in just a minute. You have one of the most explosive playmakers, not just in the ACC, but you have one of the most explosive playmakers in the world in Zay Flowers. This guy's accounted for 13 receptions that have gone for 40 or more yards over the last few years. So he can take it the distance anytime he gets the football. He's back now and has a chance to become the first Boston College player to get drafted at wide receiver since 1987 in my lifetime. He's going to be drafted just a matter of what round. And I'd be surprised if he got past day two because this guy's got unbelievable juice, unbelievable potential with the ball in his hands. Then you have the pass defense as well. This has been a group that has progressively gotten better. They've struggled at times in the last handful of years. That was prior to Halfley's arrival. Halfley got there. They were 122nd in America against the pass. Well, last year they were third. Jeff Halfley's a magician with that position group. And you see just how much they've improved just in a short period of time. Can they continue to improve? They only allowed 14 touchdown passes last year. So you throw a touchdown against Boston College, keep the ball. That is not an easy thing to do. So those are the positives. Here's the negatives. They really took a step back last year, like I alluded to, in the passing game. They have a new coordinator coming down as Frank Signetti is now calling plays for the Pitt Panthers. So they have a new coordinator in there offensively, hopefully trying to get their offense back to what it looked like in 2020. They were third in the ACC in passing offense in 2020. In 2021, they slipped all the way to 12th, partly because of an offensive line and a run game that was solid, but the passing attack was not nearly as scary last year as it was the year before. That, coupled with the fact that you had to replace four along the offensive line, that was a bell cow group last year with draft picks and guys that were physical and were veteran. That's not going to be easy to just plug and play and expect that group to be just as good. So the offensive line, another point of contention when considering what BC can be. And then, hey, they've had some 
you know, pretty good recruiting classes the last couple of years. Maybe some of those guys are ready to step into the fold and become full-time starters along the offensive line. They really struggled defensively last year against the run. I referenced how good they were against the pass. However, against the run, giving up 170 yards a game in a league that didn't really try to establish running. You think about some of these teams. I mean, Virginia, some of the other teams in, in the ACC, they really didn't try to run the ball down your throat. And yet, BC really struggled in that regard. They got to get back to being stout against the run. And then finally, they have got to do a better job rushing the passer. If I'm back there at quarterback, you think about all the great quarterbacks that they're going to face in the ACC. If I'm sitting back there and I know I have all day, I feel like I'm in pretty good shape to be able to find someone that's open. Averaging less than two sacks a game is a problem. They actually only averaged 1.75, so they were well off the mark of two sacks a game. So they have to improve the pass rush defense. They were 96th in college football just last year. McRae, who on that schedule has to be most concerned? Is it is it Clemson going to Chestnut Hill? Is it the Jerkovic Bowl in South Bend? Is it at NC State? You know, like which team is really like, hey, be on the lookout? Well, I think all three need to be concerned. I mean, if Clemson can't figure out what they're doing by that point of the season, I think they're going to be fine. That's week five or six, whatever week it is. Uh, BC gave Clemson fits a couple of years ago. Now, Clemson also look at that game. It was during the COVID year, but it was a weird game, man. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, Clemson had a couple of real significant mistakes. They jumped off sides to extend a drive, next play touchdown. They had a fumble that was returned to the house. So they made a lot of self-inflicted mistakes in that game. But I think that's the toughest game. And if that's the red bandana game, I have not seen yet if Boston College has announced that being the red bandana game. But if it is, that's a different Boston College team. You can expect what you're going to get from Boston College. Raise it by 25% during the red bandana game. That is always one of the best environments that they can create. And their team plays inspired football that night in honor of Wells Crowther. So I think it just depends on what we're getting from BC. We got to find out early in the season from BC, but I think come early October, when you start to hit the mid season swoon, it definitely could be a dangerous game for Clemson. They're better than BC, but it could be dangerous for sure. If they don't play their a game, speaking of other dangerous teams, let's talk about Mississippi state. We know what they did last year at times, very inconsistent football team more on that in a minute, but here's some spoiler games. And this tells you all you need to know about Mississippi state schedule. I might add at LSU, on September 22nd, Texas A&M comes to them on October 1st. October 8th, they welcome Arkansas to their building at Alabama on October 22nd. How, how about that October, by the way? A&M, Arkansas at Alabama. And then finally, against Georgia out of the East at their place in Starkville where the Cowbells will be going absolutely bonkers for what could be an undefeated Georgia team on November 12th. So that's a crazy schedule, but a lot of dangerous games for opponents against the Mississippi State team that brings back an awful lot. Think about the positives, all right? Here's Mike Leach. It's year three. Usually in year three, that's when the group as a whole takes a significant step forward offensively. They have a quarterback in Will Rogers now starting in year number three, and he was great last year when you look at what he did at times. When he had help and he had protection, he was very, very good. Not your average run-of-the-mill air raid guy, which is going to dink and dunk it. He can push the ball down the field and is very accurate on the intermediate throws. So I would be careful going against a hot-handed Will Rogers. You bring back a really solid one-two punch at running back in Jaquavius Marks and Dylan Johnson. Those guys combined last year for nearly 2,800 yards. Excuse me, that's the last two years. So 2,800 yards combined. And you think about Marks especially. 
he just kind of catches balls out of the backfield on extended handoffs. They're basically just toss sweeps, but he's throwing at 20 yards and he's very good in space and is a perfect addition to this running back by committee approach that they use kind of a one-two punch. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a committee necessarily. <laughs> it's a tandem more than it is a committee. But Mark's in particular, very, very dangerous with the ball in his hands. He's an experienced guy. He's very, very solid in the past game, which is where they need their running backs to make their mark. Couple that, and we talk a little bit about the offense, of course, with Air Raid and Mike Leach. This is a top 30 defense from last year, and they bring back most of their best players from last year. Jet Johnson, Nathaniel Watson, Tyrus Wheat, Emmanuel Forbes, who's out in a corner. They miss Emerson for sure at corner, but Forbes is rock solid on one side. All right, though, those are the positives. Here's the negatives. The right side of the offensive line was a disaster at times last year, and against the likes of, say, Alabama, they could not block Will Anderson. Nobody can, so I wouldn't take it too personal, but he single-handedly took over that game. I think he had four sacks in the matchup, and it felt like he was in the backfield before the ball was snapped. It's almost like he got a two-yard head start, but the right tackle position was a problem, and the left tackle was a first-rounder. Being able to replace both those guys. They've gone to the JUCO ranks. Hopefully, they'll be okay. But the tackle position in this offense, there's a lot of stress put on the tackle spot because I'm not concerned about the run game. I can just pin my ears back. and I can go right to the quarterback where he's going to be dropping. And if I get burned on a run the seven times a game they run it, so be it. So I think it's very difficult to play tackle in this offense. And if they can't find not just one, but two really good tackles, then this team could struggle against personnel that has outstanding edge rushers against defenses that have outstanding personnel at edge rusher. They got to replace Makai Polk. Last year, he doubled up everybody else at receiver, went for over 1,000 yards, had nine touchdowns, really, really good performer. And having to replace him will not be easy. Now, Wally will be fine. He'll be in the slot. I really like what he brings to the position. But having an alpha dog on the perimeter out there, if you could single him up at X or single him up in a single side receiver, that would be big if they can have a guy emerge at that position because Wally's not going to play that position. He's going to live in the slot and get a ton of volume and do a lot with the run-after-catch opportunities. And then finally, here's the thing that's most scary and concerning about Mississippi State. They're insanely inconsistent. Insanely inconsistent. Some weeks, they're phenomenal. Some weeks, they're subpar. Alabama, last year, very, very subpar. A&M, last year, excellent. How about just half-to-half? How about the first half of LSU game against the second half of the LSU game? How about the first half of the Auburn game versus the second half of the Auburn game? This team is like a roller coaster. But if you catch them when they're playing their best football, they are so difficult to stop when your defense is out there and Will Rogers is just carving you up right down the field. So Mississippi State, I think it's extremely dangerous. You better hope you don't get their A game because if you do, it could be a very long night for some of the teams with legitimate playoff expectations. I wanted to ask you about one team in particular because in two games against Nick Saban, Mike Leach has not scored a touchdown. They've, they've scored a total of nine points. But Alabama's coming off a really tough October where they're at Arkansas versus A&M at Tennessee. Then they get Mississippi State at home. Like, is there any hope for the Bulldogs in that one at Alabama is like if they're hitting on all cylinders do you think it could be done (laughs) if they're hitting on all cylinders like I said anything's possible Mark I mean it's not like it's it's not like it's one of these teams that's like well you know probably not no I mean anything's possible if they're hitting on all cylinders now I think they match up poorly against Alabama uh and if they don't give help to their tackles not just Will Anderson 
But Dallas Turner on the other side, Braswell on the other side, and they are going to tee off on Will Rogers. So Alabama, if you're predictable against Alabama, they will feast against you. So I do not like the matchup against Alabama, but I still think it's a very dangerous game. Bama always gets Mississippi State's best shot. That's just a really big game. Obviously, the, t- the schools are extremely close from Starkville to, to Tuscaloosa is only about 90 minutes. So it's it's a very physical football game, but I need to see them take a significant step forward offensively before I think that Alabama could potentially be in jeopardy there. But anything's possible. Like I said, it is year number three under Mike Leach. Let's go to the next team that we think has a chance to be very, very dangerous here in 2022. And you wouldn't know it necessarily looking what they lost, what they bring back, et cetera. But it's West Virginia. Here's some of the spoiler games that are on the schedule. How about at Pitt on September 1st? That'll get things kicked off. Oh, who isn't fired up to have the backyard brawl back? Goodness, one of my favorite rivalries. So glad that they're playing that one this year. And so glad we're getting a week one. It's going to be phenomenal. They're that against Pitt on the road. That's on September 1st. Then you go to Texas on October 1st. Baylor's at your place, October 13th. You have Oklahoma at your place on November 12th. And then finally, in the in the regular season finale, you have Oklahoma State. Now you're going to Stillwater, but that's the week after Bedlam. So if for whatever reason, Oklahoma State is a little bit beat up, maybe the game went four quarters, maybe it went to overtime, who knows? Maybe they're a little lethargic and maybe they get a win. Maybe they're reading their pl- press clippings. Maybe they punch their ticket to the Big 12 championship with the game and a win against the Sooners, well, guess what? You got West Virginia coming to town the following week, and West Virginia might be looking for bowl eligibility in that win. We'll see. Anyways, here's the positives. You have a new offensive coordinator in Graham Harrell. Knows the league like the back of his hand. Played at Texas Tech. He's an air raid guy. It's going to look a little bit more like the Dana Holgerson-led version of West Virginia, except they're not going to run the ball. <laughs> or maybe they will a little bit, but I don't think they're going to run the ball a ton. Graham Harrell wants to throw it all over the yard. Not that dissimilar to Mike Leach, his former head coach at Mississippi State. You have JT Daniels, who's likely going to be pulling the trigger. I know he's still in a quarterback competition. That's fine. But JT Daniels likely going to be pulling the trigger for West Virginia, their under center of a quarterback. Here's the problem. He's only played in 10 games last three years. We know he's had his fair share of injury troubles, and we know that he missed last year and got replaced by Setson Bennett. We know that he missed the first six or seven games of the 2021 year, but he finished with a flurry there in the final four or five games of the year. And then we have no, we know he lost, was lost for the first game of the year a few years back when he tore his ACL against Fresno at the end of the first half. His offensive coordinator when he tore his ACL was Graham Harrell. So he's familiar with this offense, has a relationship with Harrell, and I think fits air raid philosophies very, very nicely. He gets the ball out quick. He's got a quick release. He's really smart, extremely cerebral, understands where to go with the football before he snaps it every single down. So I think he's poised to have a great year. And the guy's thrown for 5,000 career yards. He's thrown for 32 touchdowns. Just he hasn't always been available. So hopefully if he's healthy, he'll be out there and hopefully he'll win that job and give West Virginia an experienced, highly talented signal caller they're at quarterback. That's the first piece of good news. Second piece of good news. They have a ton of weapons on the outside, whether it's Bryce Ford Wheaton, Sam James, you name it. They are solid at wide receiver and have been for a while. They probably have two or three guys we don't even know about yet that are probably going to blossom and have great seasons, especially with how often I expect Graham Harrell to likely throw the football. Everyone's back along the offensive line. That's another huge bonus for a quarterback that's had some injury history. Knowing that you have a veteran group up front along the offensive line is very, very important. Guys that have played a lot, very physical group, very proud group. So I would anticipate a solid effort from them 
for 12 games, no doubt about it. And then finally, you have a lot of experience back on the defensive line. All right, you bring back Dante Stills. You bring back Taj Alston. Dante Stills last year, by the way, had seven sacks. He comes back, taking advantage of that final year of eligibility. And it should be among the better defensive lines probably in the Big 12. Those are the good news. Here's the bad news. They have to find an adequate replace for Letty Brown. I think they're going to be okay. They might go running back by committee approach. We'll see exactly how they want to divvy the carries. But still, Letty Brown was a bell cow for quite a while. And him not being there is not ideal, even though they struggled at times running the football last year. You bring back just three starters defensively. That's the second piece of bad news. Because you look at what they bring back along the front, that's great. But everybody that's back on defense is along the front. And they're good players. I feel great about it. But the back seven is something that needs to be figured out and ironed out here in fall camp. They've had a lot of turnover the last couple of years in the secondary. It feels like they're constantly having guys transfer. I feel like when I prep for a team and I'm getting ready to do their game, it's like, well, they have two transfers in the secondary from West Virginia. <laughs> so they've had a lot of guys rolling there in the back end that have either transferred or they've graduated. They've just had a lot of moving pieces back there. So hopefully they can find the guys that they're going to roll with this year. And I still think they're going to be okay on the defensive side. I do I think they're a proud group. I think they'll be all right. They'll be multiple. They'll do some different things, but still that group, knowing the turnover in the big 12, where you have some good quality quarterback play and some good personnel at wide receiver, you better be able to line up and cover. And I'm not convinced right now, even if they can apply pressure with their experienced front, will they be able to hold up enough in the back end to be able to lock down the opposing wide receiver core? All right, so that's West Virginia. I think they're a really dangerous team because much like the air raid principles that we just discussed with Mississippi State, when the air raid's hot, the air raid is unstoppable. What about what if, what if JT Daniels has the year that everybody's kind of hoping he has, you know, and, and it comes out? What's the ceiling for West Virginia? I think it's just totally dependent. They're in that mix, second tier mix with me. In the Big 12, like the top tier Big 12 teams, Texas, I know, has had some injuries here in fall camp, so it's a little bit TBD. I've cooled on them just a hair. I love what Baylor brings back. I think Oklahoma is going to be really good. I think Oklahoma State's going to be really good. I think TCU is extremely dangerous. I think you look at, at you know Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech and Kansas State and West Virginia are kind of in that 6, 7, 8 category in the Big 12 where they can beat any of the top one, two, three teams, but they could also very easily lose to an improved Kansas team, who I think is going to be a whole heck of a lot better this year in year number two under Lance Leipold. So I think that they're probably in that next tier, break the Big 12 up in three tiers. I would have them in tier two, where they're likely going to be going to a bowl game. But I also think they need to make sure that they figure things out in the back seven defensively. That's the biggest key for me. But being experienced along the offensive line, experience a quarterback, experience a wide receiver, run an air raid system with an experienced quarterback that knows the league, I feel like you're probably going to be in a pretty good spot. I would include Iowa State, by the way. Iowa State, even though I've had oh, so many pieces that have now graduated and they've turned it over a lot with a lot of players that will be filling roles this year and filling holes off last year's team. I think Iowa State's kind of in that very dangerous second-tier category. As well. And then finally, our last team of the day that we're going to get to that could potentially play spoiler to a couple teams. Maybe not your, maybe not the teams that we would talk about traditionally when it comes to a college football playoff spoiler, but San Diego State quietly the last couple of years or at least the last decade for the most part has been one of the most consistent 
programs in America. They've won double-digit games in six of the last seven years. They won 12 games last year. And this team is not one that is going to take a backseat to anybody in the group of five. They are very, very good. They're very well coached and will likely be very good again this year. Here's the troublesome games for the opponents that could find San Diego State on their roster, you got or on their schedule. You got at Utah on September 17th. We've already talked about Utah going to Florida week one, and then you come back a couple weeks later, and you got to play against San Diego State. That's no easy picnic there in the first three weeks of the season. And then finally, Air Force. Air Force, by the way, one of the teams so far here in the preseason that is favored right now. If Vegas does their way too early projections and their games and their spreads, Air Force is likely going to be favored in every game. At least as it sits right now. What does that mean? Nothing. <laughs> but still, they have a chance to be really good. I'm not going to predict Air Force goes undefeated. But I know Air Force, if they are sitting at 11-0 and they have to play against San Diego State at San Diego State's new stadium in the final game of the regular season, you think San Diego State's going to want to ruin that season and potentially upend what could be an outside chance at a New Year's Six Bowl game? Be interesting to watch, all right? So those are the two teams, Utah and Air Force need to be very careful when dealing with the Aztecs. Here's the positives. They're bringing in Braxton Burmeister. Now, it's the fourth different starting quarterback in the last four years for San Diego State. It's not ideal, but at least this one has legitimate Power 5 experience. Started all 12 games last year for Virginia Tech. Mixed bag of results. Did some good things. Also did some really subpar things. But hopefully here, new, fresh start with a run-first style of attack. They're going to be well-positioned, I think, to use his athleticism, and hopefully he'll make good decisions with the football like most San Diego State quarterbacks do. Right, you bring back seven starters on defense. That's just the beginning. You also added three in the transfer portal. Significant. You bring back seven guys with major experience, and you bring in three guys in the transfer portal, two of which are related to, to two of the starters that are back on defense. So... You got guys that are going to be that have played together forever that are might maybe going to be sliding into the starting role or sliding into some depth spots, and they're going to play proud defense. This is no doubt about it. You know, San Diego State's going to bring it on that side of the ball. And here's the other positive: Do you realize that San Diego State they were having to bus to Carson Dignity Health Center or whatever the heck it's called, where they go play like up in Carson, California, for the last couple of years? Well, guess what? Snapdragon Stadium is officially coming to the college football world. I'm fired up about it. It looks beautiful, by the way. They're going to have a legitimate home field advantage. It felt like they were playing road games for the last couple of years. Not the case here in 2022. So happy that Snapdragon Stadium's finally open. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great venue, and hopefully it'll be a difficult home environment for any outside team coming and visiting what I think is one of the best cities in America. All right, here's the negatives. All right, for this is the second time in 12 years. Think about that. 12 years. This is only the second time they don't return a 1,000-yard running back. That's incredible. Now, obviously, Rashad Penny and, and uh, you know, they've had so many great players. I mean, so many great players at that position. And the fact that they now don't have an established guy gives me a little concern. They go might go by committee. Maybe they'll be just fine. I'm not going to lose a ton of sleep. It's San Diego State. They're going to run the football. Just... Do they have a game changer like they've had in the past? That's a major question mark. Like Spinell Pumphrey or Penny, like any of these guys. I don't know if they have that guy this year. We'll find out. Hopefully they do. Fingers crossed. And then finally, you have to replace 60% of your offensive line. If you're a group that really wants to establish the run game, you have a new quarterback, the new quarterback will be fine. He's played plenty. Burmeister will be good. But you think about 
having to rely on an inexperienced offensive line and an inexperienced running back, that could be a little bit troubling knowing exactly how you want to divvy that production. So I think no offensive line or not returning that many pieces on their offensive line and knowing that they haven't had this much inexperience at running back in quite a while would definitely keep me up at night if I were associated with the Aztecs. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, now it's time to move on to a segment that sometimes is good news, sometimes is bad news. More often than not, this time of year, it's bad news, I'm afraid, because it's the news and notes segment. And coming off the first scrimmage for a lot of teams this past weekend, we had some unfortunate injury news to update you on. Texas has been dealing with a handful of issues the last couple of weeks. They now, after the weekend, they've lost an offensive lineman in junior Angilau, who is a guy that's played, I feel like, a ton of football, and the and Isaiah Nair, a transfer from Wyoming, who is poised to break out alongside Xavier Worthy, what should be an exceptionally good, exceptionally deep wide receiver core. Losing both these guys is a significant hurdle for a Texas team that's already dealing with some injuries prior to this past weekend. So hate to see that for the Longhorns. They better find some adequate replacements to step up and step up quickly, especially for Angilau on the front, because he has been a guy that's been there so dang long, and the offensive line has certainly had their fair share of issues, so having his veteran experience will not be easily replaced. North Carolina lost running back British Brooks to a lower body injury for the season, so a tough blow there for the Tar Heels. Notre Dame named Tyler Buckner they're starting quarterback, but they also at the same time announced that Avery Davis, their star wide receiver, their captain at wide receiver, a guy that's played a ton of football, has dealt with injuries in the past, just hate that he is going to be out this season with a torn ACL. So it's a diff difficult thing. You get one piece of good news with Notre Dame with Tyler Buckner taking over as officially being named the starting quarterback. And then Avery Davis, of course, being lost for the season. A tough blow for the Irish. They still have talented pieces at wide receiver, so they'll be able to overcome his loss as far as offensive productivity is concerned. But he was a strong leader, a strong voice, and a veteran presence there in that wide receiver room. So it's just disappointing. I'm just more sad for him than anything else. And then finally, South Florida is named Gary Bohannon their starting quarterback. This is interesting because remember Gary Bohannon earlier in the spring, he was completing with competing with Blake Chapman there at Baylor to become the starting quarterback. He was the starting quarterback last year. Bohannon was throughout most of the regular season. Well, Chapman has a great big 12 championship game. He eventually becomes the starting quarterback at the end of spring practice. And Dave Aranda, 
the head coach, Dave Aranda there at Baylor, did right by Bohannon saying, hey, man, we're going to name Shappen the starting quarterback. He's our guy. So you can go and look elsewhere if you choose. Well, Gary Bohannon decided to enter the transfer portal at that point in early May, late April. He finds a home at USF and now subsequently has been named the starting quarterback for USF. So good for Gary Bohannon. Very happy for him, but also good on Dave Aranda because he could have very easily extended this quarterback competition, kept Bohannon hanging around, had adequate depth at the position because Bohannon was forced to hang around. And next thing you know, Bohannon would not have this starting opportunity right in front of him. So just wanted to tip my cap to Bohannon for winning the job. Congratulations, young man. And then also to Dave Aranda for giving Bohannon that opportunity. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe wherever it is you're getting the content. We really appreciate the interaction that we've had with you up to this point, whether it's on social media at alwayscfb, that's on Instagram and Twitter, or if you're hitting us up via email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. So we really appreciate that interaction. We look forward to doing more of it here in the days and weeks to come. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.